Hello, and welcome to the Haskell Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Goodman. I'm a senior engineer at IT Pro TV. With me today is Andres Smois, one of the engineers on my team. Thanks for joining me today, Andres. Uh, yep, thanks for uh, having me, Cody. I'm excited to talk about uh, some fun stuff with you. Cool. This show is about Haskell, a purely functional programming language. Today, we're going to be talking about Refined, uh, which is a way of moving a lot of runtime errors into the type system. There was an interesting blog post recently in Haskell Weekly uh, that explored using Refine to solve a few common cases of runtime errors, uh, such as division by zero or making sure a string is uppercase, things that you'd usually have to worry about at runtime. Andres, what were your thoughts on it? The first thing that came to mind was it's very interesting to think of type checking at the runtime level. And uh, one of the things that first stood out to me was what is the use? High level seems very useful. After diving into a bit, a little bit, seems like maybe some of these features should be implemented more directly uh, into the compiler level or even just as part of the actual Haskell language. But we can talk about more about that in a bit. Great. Uh, definitely want to talk more about that in a bit. Haskell is actually moving towards supporting dependent typing. I, I hear in the next uh, year or so, we'll, we'll probably have something pretty useful and workable. In terms of Refine specifically, though, and things that we can use today, what do you think are the the trade-offs in deciding to use something like that? Is, is there a lot of ceremony involved with using something like Refine? So runtime errors are expensive, but is it more expensive to implement something with Refine? I think the major point that came to me first is how much extra coding work do I need to actually do to be able to use this? And I think that's probably the major downside to using something like Refine. We've gotten to a point where we are trying to fix, we're not really fixed, but more solve a problem that isn't already solved by using type checking and um, runtime checking and all of these things. And the first thing that sticks out is lots of different conversion functions. So there's a lot of extra boilerplate required around uh, using Refine and using it in such a way that is helpful to the code. And that's my first takeaway. And there's some extra stuff in there as well that is very nice. It's just uh, my first question is, how much extra coding do I have to do? And it's actually a little bit more than I'm comfortable with. Okay. And uh, like you mentioned, uh, part of the reason for that is because it's uh, an external library and not something integrated with a compiler. So it'll be exciting to see if uh, that helps reduce that ceremony in boilerplate. Yeah, definitely something that I think would be better benefited to be directly inside the language than as a library. But it would be nice to know, or at least to be able to use it in practice to be able to, to see if, are, is it actually a lot of work or if it's just, you know, just something that I, I get from the, pre the representation of it in the blog post and the documentation. Right. What do you think as a first glance, what did you first think that this was gonna do? I think that Refined is really interesting. I know there's a lot of ceremony with setting up things at first. I do wonder, though, if you go from the approach of correct by construction 
and you eventually build up a lot of these refined helpers. If it pretty much gets rid of the ceremony once you've integrated into your normal workflow of programming, you know, instead of thinking in terms of runtime errors, if you think in terms of using refined and does this value refine before I pass it to the next function, if you start thinking that way and just implementing those things as a library you can reuse, I think it could be a lot more convenient. It's harder to make that argument, though, without having a fleshed out example. Yeah, I agree. I think once this is actually in use and we're able to see more of how it is used, then we can make that call. It's just one of my major downsides that I, that I can see just, just off the bat. If the extra work required to wrapping it and unwrapping it better than just doing that type checking by hand or, you know, is it actually worth it? Right. And I think that when you look at some of the examples, by nature, they're trying to teach something. So they're going to be a little bit contrived. Uh, you have to simplify things to teach the concept first, but it would be good if we had somewhere to go from there, layers on the different things that we've learned. You know, maybe having refined check at compile time that a string is uppercase isn't valuable. But if you're verifying social security numbers, maybe verifying that they are, how many digits is it again? Eight, nine digits, then that's something that could be useful. Yeah, I agree. Um, however, I do see verification is usually user input variables and they're not available at build time. So I could see that being a major issue. Um, so like, let's say that you have a refined type of positive number. What, how will the compiler know that a user is going to input two minus one if you don't actually go through the entire, you know, refining it and unrefining it in the process, which when you refine the two minus one, it's going to throw an error or however you decide to actually implement it. And that is the same as if you just did an if statement, for example. So um, it's, it's hard to see the difference of actually type checking in code and type checking in the types itself. Right. That's a great point. I think the special sauce, so to speak, lies in that it's not really about verifying that value. It is in the exhaustiveness checking that we get by defining that and how it forces programmers, if you are warning or if you are throwing an error on exhaustiveness checks, it forces the programmers to handle that case up front, whereas you could have missed that case uh, in a dynamic language. Yeah, I agree. And that's obviously where we see the benefits of this library. The question I, I had was, is it worth it? Do we want to add all this extra complexity just to be more safe for the developer to write this code? And the upsides, I think, are still not better than the downsides. Okay. What do you think about the possibility of senior engineers using refined to write out the types and stub out implementations and then having the rest of the engineers implementing the functionality for those things? If most of these types are going to be used in a compilation manner, so, you know, we are mainly using Haskell in a, in a web environment, so most of our types that need type checking are going to be user input, and I think that's where it falls short. Mm -hmm. If it is going to be used in such a way that 
this type checking is going to help in the code writing, then I think that's a good thing. So Refine is a great library to make sure that your types that are you know more dynamic than other types, uh, such as numbers, lists, things like that, stay inside the range they're supposed to be, then Refine is a great library for that. Regardless whether it's a senior engineer doing the structuring or it's a junior one, I, I don't see a difference in that scenario. Okay. Did you see if it was possible uh, in the docs, I'm scrolling through them now, to add refined values, you know, to have composite refined values? You mean like doing, for example, one plus one on a refined value? Sort of. I mean, like saying that to refine, this this value needs to both be uppercase and both be a length of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually not sure exactly how it's used, and that's the idea behind me looking into this library was to see what my first thoughts first thoughts are in just as a skimming sort of view. So, what is it right. going to is it going to appeal enough for me to actually sit down and start using it? I could mm-hmm. you know I could go in there and start writing it, see if it feels natural, if it just feels very unnatural or just completely different than what we're used to. And um, I, can't actu- I can't actually answer the question that you're asking there, right. but um, if it were the and, case that you can do that, then that's, a, that's an extra plus. Right. And actually, that, that's a little bit of a warning sign to me and, and something I see too common in Haskell libraries is if you can't communicate the really valuable pieces like that, so if you can't show how to move past the trivial examples to something more complicated but also more useful, that, that's a marketing problem as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I had the same thought. I said I'm probably going to have a different mindset when I actually go in there and, and play around with it, but I thought it was more valuable to have that viewpoint where I actually haven't used the code. I'm just going by what the author has told me about it. And so far, right. I'm not 100% agreed on it. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, having a little more examples that could help you understand what the library is meant to fix and how it fixes it would be- benefit the adoption of it. Right. And I think it's really valuable to for you to look at this from, uh, you know, the mindset of somebody who's just thinking about looking at Haskell about adopting Haskell for some of these benefits they heard about, or maybe it's a Haskell user who's thinking about putting more type safety into their code base. You know, that's pretty similar to the mindset they're going to be in. Um, and I think you found a valuable opportunity for anyone who's writing blog posts about Refined or uh, any documentation, and that is to, you know, give more examples. And this is true throughout Haskell documentation in general. But especially here, you want to motivate not only the simple cases, but the intermediate and the advanced. Yes, and I actually have a comment on that one as well. The last part of the blog post where they show the examples of using Refine inside of a JSON type, as a use case to use Refine to make sure that your JSON parsing matches what you want it to be, that seems like what Refine was meant to do, at least in my eyesight. As a server developer for for Haskell, JSON parsing is pretty much a lot of what we do. So 
we want to make sure that the input that comes in is what we want it to be. And I think Refine attempted to use JSON um, or the ASON library to help type these JSON values a little better. Right. However, that seemed to me like it was a an afterthought. It was, okay, we also did this. But they never went into what you can do with it or what the code can do when, right. when you're writing it, if it can make the parsing less verbose or maybe more concise. Things like that is what I want to see when I'm reading a blog post. Right. It, it so is what, a fine line, though, right? Mm-hmm. So what they left is a footnote about JSON there. You would have maybe liked to see them lead with that and then expound upon that example. Yeah, I mean, uh, everyone's uh, thoughts on what Refine is good for is obviously different. I just wanted to get a little more information up front about all the different ways you can use Refine, uh, not just simple ints and strings, and then, oh, by the way, we also do JSON. So uh, looking at their example for a second, uh, it looks like they find a type called alcohol user uh, who has a name and an age. Uh, They have a refined type to make sure that there's at least one character in the string. Where would you have usually verified something like that without refine? That is a good question. That would probably depend on how simple the parsing is. Most Mm -hmm. likely, I would write it either directly inside the ASON instance or as a if as a as, as a conversion of the type. So if okay. I had a type that was an alcohol username, I would have a string to alcohol username that would type check there and make sure right. you know, you can only convert a string to that type if it is at least one character. Otherwise you fail. So this would the difference it would get us is uh, kind of a more declarative way of listing out how to parse and validate that JSON. Right, and if, uh, it would also remove a little bit of the boilerplate code required to do so. Right, yeah, for building, uh, like, applicative syntax for building the data type, stuff like that. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show with me today, Andres. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, it was fun doing this. And uh, something that I actually forgot to mention in the beginning, I have just started uh, doing Haskell a couple months ago, so most of this stuff is brand new to me, and it uh, helps a lot to read about these libraries that people want to implement just to understand what people's thoughts are in terms of Haskell's uh, strict type system and and, uh, where it needs to be improved in. Thanks for that very valuable input. And thank you for listening to the Haskell Weekly podcast. If you liked what you heard, find out more at our website, haskellweekly.news. Also, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again next week.